0: Let's uh, bow our heads and pray. Paul uh, begins with a message grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And Father, it is our prayer that in the hearing of your word tonight, we might know your grace, experience your mercy. And find strength in your peace. For Christ's glory's sake. Amen. As uh, many of you know, my father died last year. And like some of you will have had to do, I had to get involved in the business of a will. Fortunately, uh, my dad was uh, a good civil servant Uh, And everything had been clearly set out administratively. Fortunately, St. Paul is good at setting things out too. And the second letter to Timothy, the series that we start this evening, finds him setting out his legacy. Please turn to it if you uh, haven't already got it open, it's page 1195. And we find already in these early verses there's a reference to suffering. What is that suffering? Well, Paul is uh, a captive once again. Uh, The way you can make sense of the different uh, references are to say that uh, the um, captivity that we know about from a book like Philippians, uh, he was in fact, it was kind of like a house arrest, Uh, he was in fact released from, went back to the church. Uh, but then got clobbered again and re-arrested, and this time it wasn't house arrest, this time it was really serious, so that Paul, as he's writing this uh, letter, is writing his legacy. He's writing his last will and testament. He is expecting to die. Now, I just need to let you know something. Uh, There is intense academic warfare over whether these letters are by St. Paul or whether they simply preserve a kind of core of Paul's teaching that's then been uh, stitched together by someone else. Now, I tell you that uh, purely so that you don't get thrown if someone says something like that to you. I'm not going to go into those arguments, uh, though if you want me to afterwards, uh, I will Load you up with lots and lots of books so that you can pursue it at your leisure. But the point in preaching is to take the text as it stands and the story as it claims to be. And so that's what I'm going to do. I just want to let you know, though, that it's not the whole picture. If you want to pursue other things, then you can. But Paul is facing death. And he casts around and he considers what he is leaving behind him. There are references in this letter to those who've deserted him. And he himself is in prison. Has it all been some terrible mistake? Well, there are two parts to his legacy. A man and a message. Jesus at least had 12 people uh, that he left behind him. But uh, no such luck for Paul. There is only one. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He was charged by Jesus himself to take the message to those who were not Jews. And the whole enterprise of the gospel to the Gentiles for St. Paul now hangs by a thread. that thread is one man thick, Timothy. And Timothy is a problem. And Timothy has quite a lot of problems. He's very young. Paul has to... Uh, tell him uh, not to be put off by those who dismiss him for being young. So if you are here today and you think, well, uh, eventually people may take me seriously, then take uh, heart from uh, Tom and from Hannah, who appear to have been taken seriously in Scotland and in Belarus, uh, but take heart from Timothy as well. Secondly, he doesn't enjoy good health. Uh, He's he's got various problems, some sort of stomach problem, we think, based on the references throughout uh, 1 and 2 Timothy. And uh, so, again, if you're not one of those who enjoys robust health, if you're not one of those who uh, would cheerfully march across Belarus, um, then uh, take courage. Uh, This is about such a person. And thirdly, in the macho world of the ancient Near East, Timothy was, uh, what mattered about Timothy was what had been given in to him by women. The faith lived first in his grandmother, Lois, and also in his mother, Eunice. Timothy does not benefit from uh, a father clapping him on the back and saying, that's my boy. On the contrary, uh, Timothy's father is in the background, completely, almost, almost, uh, in one Timothy there's something, but almost off the picture entirely. Timothy is young, sickly, and spiritually brought up by women. And many of us will uh, have at least one of those in our background. But... The Bible specializes in characters like that. If you look at, uh, and because this is the beginning, I'm going to do a bit of uh, a sort of uh, dashing around. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I don't know if that sets off any r- memories for you. Be strong. Joshua took over from Moses and had to be told, Be strong and very courageous. He had to be told it almost boringly often. Be strong. Uh, Joshua was no Moses. But he became a Moses, if you like. Later on, the, uh, uh, Paul, uh, uh, I, I guess this is deliberate. He says to Timothy, the young, sickly character, You know what athletes do, don't you? You know what soldiers do, don't you? And you can imagine Timothy going, Oh, yeah, I suppose I do. But he doesn't give, Paul doesn't give in. He sets before him these strong examples and says, You can do that, you know. Not in your own strength. We'll come to that in a minute. That's about the Holy Spirit. But you can do that. Timothy was young and sickly, and yet we have the gospel because of Timothy. The gospel hung by that thread. But he came through with the goods. He accepted the legacy. Paul was right to trust the man. But most of all, Paul is leaving the legacy of the message, the gospel itself. I'm going to do some racing now, so stay with me. Chapter 1 and verse 14. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Got the good deposit of the gospel. Chapter 2 and verse 9 over the page. Uh, but God's word is not changed. Chapter 3 and changed uh, Chapter 3 and Verse 14. As for you continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. And then uh, one of the famous bits uh, verse 15 You have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. Chapter 4 and verse 2 Preach the word. Chapter 4 and verse 17 The Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. No letter from St. Paul breathes out quite so powerfully the confidence that there is in the gospel itself the power of the message. And that's for a reason. It is not just that Paul says to himself, I better write down this stuff about the power of the gospel so that people a thousand years from now or so will know what I really meant it. Rather, he wants Timothy to have confidence in it and to pick up the mantle that Paul is leaving him, just like Joshua picked up the mantle from Moses or Elisha picked up the mantle from Elijah. It is an absolutely desperate Situation for St. Paul. He is facing death. The whole enterprise hangs by this thread. And Timothy is nervous. So, to make his point in these first verses, and we're just looking at the first 10 or so tonight, Paul reaches for two elements to give Timothy the confidence that he needs. First, he tells him that he has a foundational past. And then he goes on to tell him that he has a powerful future. Foundational past and a powerful future. Let's look at the foundational past first. These are not two successive uh, texts. They're kind of woven together like threads that go both ways. One's about the past, the other's about the future. So, Paul begins. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul is confident that he himself has been sent, the word apostle means sent, from Christ Jesus. He looks back to the experience on the Damascus road in which he is converted from Saul, the Pharisee who persecuted Christians, to Paul, the uh, believer who proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord. He is turned around in one experience and that's already happened. Secondly, Uh, Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did. So he's been sent by Jesus Christ, he's been turned round from being Saul the Pharisee. Nonetheless, those Jewish forefathers served God in their generation with a clear conscience, and Paul can say, I thank God that I am in succession to their truth. I persecuted Christians, God forgive me. But I know that when I look back, though I will have things to say about the value of the Jewish law, I know the individuals were doing their best by God at the time. Because God has always been at work. Paul wants Timothy to understand that from way back, back to the time of uh, Paul's own ancestors, God has been faithfully with his people. And then Paul looks, uh, thirdly, Yes, to this, uh, these generations of Timothy's own background, Lois and Eunice. Your parentage has had, you have a heritage of faith in your family. I can look back to my own experience, says Paul. I can look back to the ancient days of my people. And I can look back into your, uh, your own uh, parentage. And if you want another one, uh, I'll take this a little out of sequence towards the end of verse 9. This grace, uh, the grace of the gospel, was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. It's only appeared now, but it was given to us. It was entrusted to us. There was a people to whom God gave the promise that is in Jesus from ancient time, before the beginning of time. That's how foundational the purposes of God are. Timothy, you're feeling nervous. Do you think you can go back behind the beginning of time, behind the Jewish people and the faithfulness of God to them, behind my own calling to be an apostle faced with the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, behind your own parentage and grandparentage in Lois and Eunice? Of course you can't. Take those for what they are. They are foundational of God's grace in the past to his people. That's the kind of, a bit distant past. But then in verse 6, Paul says, now let's go a little, little more recently in the past. I want you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now this is not a gift As we would speak of spiritual gifts, perhaps a gift of evangelism, a gift of prophecy or something like that. It's not a gift like that because of the way Paul goes on to talk about we don't have this kind of spirit, we have another kind of spirit. He's actually talking about the whole the the gift of the Spirit of God. Made known to Timothy when he was converted because he came from a Jewish uh, but also a Greek background. Uh, But then confirmed uh, in, in him and recognized as Paul presumably in some kind of public context, laid his hands on him, uh, prayed for him, accepted the, the uh, sign of Timothy's giving of his life to the cause of Christ. Remember, I did that. I laid my hands on you. I recognized that this was real for you, this gift of God, the, the life of the Holy Spirit that comes when we uh, acknowledge, repent of sins and turn to Christ. Now, remember that, and don't just remember it as a distant reality. Fan that into flame. Uh, Put uh, a set of bellows on the embers of those coals. It was real. Don't forget that. Because, says Paul, that gift, that spirit, verse 7, is not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. We'll come to those uh, in a moment. Why does he need to say that? Well, presumably because Timothy has uh, now, or is now backing out of the consequences of that gift, that Holy Spirit to drive us into service. Why would he be backing out? Well, because Paul's in prison. He might have a natural queasiness about following his master, if that's the consequence, I might end up in prison. But it's much more than that. If the gospel is power, why is Paul in prison? Or to put it another way, and this is the argument that Paul has running through these verses, if Paul is in prison, isn't that very fact a denial that the gospel is about power? Not at all, says St. Paul. The past, remember, That past of ancestry and God's call is absolutely foundational. It has happened. His grace was operative before time. It's been shown in history, in the recent history, in which Christ appeared. And notice how it's put in verse... uh, Where are we? Uh, I didn't put a reference for this. Um, We're not rushed. Here we are. Verse 10. The grace was given us, but it's now been revealed through the appearing. It's a very odd way of putting things. It looks like he's actually picked up on an old kind of creed thing. But what Paul puts it like that way, because if I can put it reverently, Jesus has has merely appeared, but appeared in order to fulfill, because this is Paul's point, the ancient, uh, before time grace that has been going on. What Jesus has done recently is, in a sense, simply done what God has always been about. Paul, uh, God has shown the fulfillment of his ancient purpose, and through Jesus has brought, it's already happened, Timothy, life and immortality to life, and destroyed death. It's happened, what are you going to do about it, Timothy? That's happened. You can't undo any of that. Wouldn't it be more sensible to face the consequences? Secondly, if that's the foundational past, there's a powerful future. Now, as I said, this is not a different set of verses. It's the same verses, just looking at different threads in the fabric. Paul tells Timothy, the spirit is a spirit of power and love and self-control. Now that last word is is notoriously difficult to define. If you imagine a circle and put around the circle some words that I I suggest to you, the word we're aiming at is kind of in the middle, but there's no word for it in English. Uh, Around the circle you'd have something like self-control, common sense, a sober mind, prudence, moderation, sensibleness. And then that word is in the middle of all of those. It's like having all the parts of your life in their proper place. That's what the Spirit does. He takes all the bits of your life and mine that are chaotic, and it's his job to order them so they're all in the proper place to do what our lives were meant to do. Now, the rest of the letter is is going to cover love and self-control, but here in these first verses, uh, Paul really wants to deal with power. Not surprisingly, since Timothy seems to be backing out. The Spirit gives power to live out the holy life to which we are called. Verse eight: Don't be ashamed to testify to me about our Lord, or ashamed of me as prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has done what, who has saved us and called us to a holy life. The Spirit gives power to live out the holy life to which we're called. Although actually that doesn't quite cover it, capture it. If we say to live out, that could have the sense of a cookie cutter life. Here you are, you're making your Christmas cookies with, I don't know, pine cones or pine trees and ding, ding, and they all look the same so that every life looks the same. Doesn't, it's not that. It's not that sense that whatever the Holy Spirit is about in this congregation, he's doing exactly the, producing exactly the same life in each one. Each life is characterized in the same way. Holy, yes. But it's not that they look exactly the same. And the emphasis is more, the way Paul puts it, upon the power given by God's Holy Spirit to our spirit, to respond to the ways of holiness that will be unique for us. And we'll come back to that. The Spirit is at work in our own personal future. But now that death is destroyed and immortality lies open, according to verse 10, the final consummation, the final end of the whole universe lies open. It doesn't end in death anymore but it ends in life, ever more liveliness of life, ever, ever more uh, fullness of life. With those two realities then, a foundational past, a powerful future, Timothy has got nothing to fear. Whom then shall I fear, we sang. Nothing to fear and everything to gain. Therefore he should rejoin the fight with Paul, who suffers because of the power of the gospel, it's resented, it's rejected, but who endures because of the power of the gospel? Whom then shall I fear? Verses 11 and 12. Of this gospel I was appointed a a herald and an apostle and a teacher. What great things to be, but that is why I'm suffering as I am, he says in verse 12. Now when we come to apply it all, there seems to me a danger that we could miss The point fairly easily. We could take the very neatness of what I've said, foundational past, powerful future, and we could turn those into neat points to take away and learn from, neatly boxed, serene. Instead of which, we should feel when we encounter these verses as though we are standing in front of some kind of powerful wind machine blowing hard in our faces. Because they ask us the question, "What legacy are you working for, Bernie? What legacy are you working for, Janet?" Every one of us in the room should be asking, "What legacy am I leaving?" If your horizon is tomorrow and you know, you know the screenfuls of email waiting for you, then that is not a legacy. Even if your horizon is the good job and the spouse and the car and the kids and the dog, then even there there's not necessarily a legacy. Jobs get abolished. Spouses and children will die and cars will rust. There's no legacy. Paul has a legacy because what he gave his life for was actually stronger than death itself. The gospel of Jesus Christ who has destroyed death. Every human condition, every trouble in our minds and on our hearts as we come in this evening has its end in death. But Jesus Christ has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What else is worth your legacy? Like Timothy, I suspect we need to have confidence in the gospel, and not even just the kind of passive confidence that says, well, yes, however hard it gets, I know it's true. That's not good enough for Paul. He says to Timothy, doesn't say, uh, no, it's true. He says, get out there and proclaim it. Get back into the fight. Get back into the race. There will be dreadful times in the church, Paul says. He speaks of evil, but we might speak of apathy, just as destructive in the long run. If we then respond by saying, Well, at least I know it's true, however demanding life gets. That's not the that's a passive confidence, yes, better than nothing. But Paul says to Timothy, get out there. And as much as ever, we need Timothy's, at least the Timothy that comes out of this story. The Timothy on on whom or, or Timothy who gave us uh, the gospel, who who, who thickened that thread by finding others. We don't need those who will say, oh, I once knew someone like Paul, uh, but I could never be like him. My health's a bit dodgy, and I'm terribly shy. We need those who will say, my health is dodgy, and I am terribly shy, but I will be a Timothy in my generation. Some of you will have been here last week and heard Joel Callow talking uh, uh, from his experience uh, about the ways in which we can usefully take the faith out there. And it struck me that what we could do with is a church blog, perhaps, called Offensive. Uh, we're playing on it. There will always be reasons to defend. But how about if we played in what Americans call the Offense? I don't mean to be offensive, of course, in the sense of being rude uh, with the gospel. But precisely the opposite, simply setting forth the gospel in the face of the world so that we're not always on the back foot. We're not always saying, oh yes, gosh, yes, I, I suppose I should think about that difficulty about the Christian faith. Paul says to this young, sickly man, do the work of an evangelist. Why does he say that? Because it was Timothy's calling. There's absolutely no evidence that it was Timothy's calling to, do, to be an evangelist. He was simply saying, do the work of an evangelist. The gospel is there. It has a foundation in the past. It is power for the future. Now get out there and do it. The gospel has not lost its power since Paul wrote these words in prison. He wrote these words in prison. And it's not lost its power to change lives. So let's not back down, let's get back in the game. And how might we do that? Well, three things just quickly to finish. If you don't remember anything else, try to remember these. Firstly, fan into flame the gift. Really, do it. Have you forgotten the role of the Holy Spirit to change you? To keep on changing you. To fill you with the power and love and self-control and moderation, whatever we call that, of Jesus. Not to change you uh, in little ways. Not to stop changing you. Not to be content that you've got to be, you've got to the point of being a good boy or a good girl. How tedious. But to keep changing you. So that you are a person of power and love and self-control fan into flame that gift. Secondly, who has saved us? The power of God, verse 9, who has saved us? Have you forgotten that you have been rescued, that you have been saved, that you have been plucked like a brand from a burning fire? that you owe every fiber of your being to God saving you. And if you have not, if that is not your realization, if that's not how you come to be with us this evening, then it's my job to stand here and tell you that that is the good news, that God wants to save you from a terrible future. Have you forgotten that God has saved you? And thirdly, the power of God who has called us to a holy life. Your calling to be fulfilled tomorrow, maybe before that, maybe coffee time, but the day after as well. And not just in a cookie-cutter way, but always to grow further into everything that is simply there for you from God's Holy Spirit. That will depend on the challenges you face, the giftings, That he brings to you. But you are called. The Almighty God of heaven and earth has stood in front of you and, no less than St. Paul, has said to you, I call you. God has saved us. God has called us to a holy life and is continuing to call us. And St. Paul summons us to fan into flame the gift of God. Live out those three realities from this text and you will have a legacy worth leaving. And no other legacy is worth a hill of beans compared to that. Let's pray. I'm going to end with a simple prayer and Trevor will take our prayers further forward. Let's pray. And I'll just give you space, really, to, to come to terms again with those three things. God has saved us. God has called us to a holy life and is calling us and will call us to a holy life. the apostle stands before us before us and says fan into flame the gift of god his spirit lord god forgive us that we settle for so little Open mind and heart and eyes and lips and strength and soul to hunger for more. Amen.